You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Friends, today we're having um, one of, you know, one of our favourites. We've got so many favourites here on the Regent College Podcast, but <laughs> Wesley Hill is definitely up there. Wes Hill, if you haven't met him before, is the Associate Professor of New Testament at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, and an assisting priest at the Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So he's commuting between those two places. He's staying, living where he is, but he's commuting to those things. That's a new little change for him, if you've heard him before. Uh, he's written a book recently called The Lord's Prayer, A Guide to Praying to Our Father, but we didn't talk about that. We talked about another book that he's written on spiritual friendship. And so we talked to him about that. What's the difference between friendship and spiritual friendship? What about spiritual kinship? And spiritual friendship. What about attraction? Um, what about the how we understand marriage in light of friendship? Um, mm -hmm. So we had. If you know Wes, he's just he's just lovely and fun to listen to, and has great thoughts on all of these different topics. Yeah, being a New Testament scholar, and also coming at it from a historical lens, as well as his own personal experience, he just has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom that I, as a married person, and I know many of my even single friends have so appreciated um, just his heart and his passion and also just the wisdom he's brought um, to friendship and spiritual friendship. Mm -hmm. So it was great. Yeah. And so if you have, a, once you've listened to this conversation, you're like, oh, I'd love to hear more about kind of the way Wes thinks about different things. There's a class that he's teaching here at Regent College, both in person and online, called Male and Female in Christ. And that's happening in early July. So there's a link in the in the show notes at the bottom there. You can check that out. But we hope you enjoy our conversation with Wesley Hill. Wes Hill, or Wes Hill, welcome back to the Region College Podcast. It's so good to be with you. I am very honored and happy to be here. <laughs> We're yes. so glad to have you. We, um, I was calling you Wes before, so I, I feel like I've switched into my North American version of Wes, <laughs> as opposed to Wes, but you know. This was this was funny. So I lived in England for yeah. four years for graduate school, and everyone called me Wes with a with a oh. what we would call a Z sound. I suppose yeah. you would call a Z, Z sound. sound. But, yeah. but uh, Wes would be the more normal American <laughs> pronunciation. But I told a couple of British friends that, and they said, well, then you should spell it with two S's if you want to say it right. <laughs> oh, man. We'll call you. That's so good. Well, it's great to have you back, um, it's good and to we're going to talk. We're going to talk about spiritual friendship. So, kind of, and you've written a book about that, so you know mm. a little bit of something about that. But do you want to tell us? We, this topic has, you know, been birthed out of your own desire for your own yeah. life. Do you want to tell us a, just a little bit about that journey, and then yeah. how you came to write on spiritual friendship? Yeah. So I think I think it sort of grew out of some of the early writing that I did on sexuality. Mm -hmm. So I realized. Well, I, I was raised a very devout Christian, and I. I knew that Christ loved me from a very young age, that he had given his life for me on the cross and risen from the dead to make me his child forever. Um, and I believed that. I, I wanted to live in light of that. But I also, uh, during puberty, I realized that I was pretty much exclusively attracted to uh, men, um, that I was gay. And so a big question for me was, how do I live in light of this? What does it mean to live as a Christian uh, with this uh, orientation? Mm -hmm. And I found myself 
really convinced of the so-called traditional Christian view that God ordained marriage to be the union of a man and a woman for life, um, oriented toward welcoming new life into the world, children. Um, and so my question was, if, if that's not something that I feel called to or attracted to or gifted for, what does it look like for me to live a flourishing Christian life? Mm -hmm. Um, am I, am I sort of sentenced to a life of loneliness and isolation, or is there something that I can hope for and pursue and cultivate in the church? And so I discovered this at the time, kind of obscure blog uh, by a woman named Eve Tushnet. Eve mm. is now happily much more well-known. Uh, <laughs> she's written a couple of books. Her latest book is called Tenderness. I think the subtitle is A Gay Christian's Guide to Unlearning Rejection and Experiencing God's Extravagant Love, which oh. I think is a really beautiful uh, so title. Good. But but she, at the time that I started reading her, this was probably around 2008 or nine. Um, she was blogging a lot about Christian traditions of friendship. And what she was discovering was that uh, uh, Christians in England in the middle of the 1800s would often take vows of friendship. Mm. They, they would. And, and these weren't this wasn't like a, a kind of proto version of gay marriage. These were people who were married to people of the opposite sex, but they wanted to kind of formalize and recognize and solemnize their friendships. And she said, you know, what if what if we treated friendship as worthy of that kind of serious public recognition and honor. And my mind was just kind of blown by that. I'd never thought of friendship that way. I mean, I think like a lot of modern people, I tended to think of friendship as something kind of fairly casual. I mean, we all like our friends, but we also know we probably wouldn't turn down a job for our friends. We probably mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily think twice about moving across the country from our friends. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a valued relationship in our culture, but it's also kind of impermanent and a little mm -hmm. bit casual. Right. And so the thought that it could be something more, uh, that, that, that there are Christian traditions that have celebrated it as something more than that was really kind of eye opening for me. Mm -hmm. And it made me think like, even if I'm not married, even if I'm not in a sexually intimate relationship, I am still called to love and I'm still mm -hmm. called to form, you know, really robust bonds of com commitment and communion with other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's oh, beautiful. So good. Yeah. Thanks so good. for sharing your story with us. And I, I want to get more into, uh, into this, but first, can you like maybe articulate or differentiate the, the difference or is there a difference between um, say spiritual friendship and, and just friendship? Like, is there a distinguishing factor there? I think that because we are all finite, we don't have the capacity to be friends with everyone. So mm -hmm. I often say, uh, you know, when we think about church, I mean, I think I'm obligated to love all of my fellow Christians. You know, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's not the same thing as saying that I can be intimate friends with all of them. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's I just don't have the capacity for that. Um, none of us do. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this so-called Dunbar number from sociology, which says that we can really only maintain, you know, a certain number of kind of active, intimate friendships. And mm -hmm. so 
I think what I'm understanding myself to be doing is not to say that all of our Christian relationships have to be this ultra committed version of friendship, Mm -hmm. but that some of them can be, Mm. and that it might be that some of us who have thought of friendship in much more casual terms, maybe we should rethink that and be open to the possibility that God might want us to consider one or two or three or four people in our lives to be, you know, our committed spiritual friends. And Mm -hmm. I borrow that language of spiritual friendship from a a 13th century monk in England named Mm -hmm. Elred, St. Elred of Riveau. And he distinguished spiritual friendship from a couple of other versions of friendship. He said, we can think about carnal friendship. Uh, these are the kind of friendships we maybe develop, you know, in our university years where we're, we're, we're just all about the same kind of lustful pleasures. We carnal, just carnal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We, 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 we fall in with people who are kind of involved in the same vices that we are. And we right. find right. a kind of solidarity in that. And then he says, uh, there are other friendships that we might call worldly friendships. These are friendships where I recognize that you might actually be beneficial to my career. Mm -hmm. And so I befriend you as a way to kind of get ahead in worldly Mm -hmm. terms. Mm -hmm. And Elred says that both of those carnal friendship and worldly friendship are actually dim shadows of the real thing. And Mm -hmm. the real thing that Christians Mm -hmm. are called to is spiritual friendship, which is where we're trying to spur one another on to love God and to know Mm -hmm. God's love for us. We're trying to help one another deepen our, our commitment to Christ. Mm -hmm. And, um, I guess what I would add to that is we probably can't have more than a small handful of those kind of friendships mm-hmm. uh, where we're mm-hmm. really kind of intimately known and we're knowing another person and we're, we're able to, to kind of identify in some ways as siblings, you know, as, mm-hmm. as yeah. family to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the idea of it. Yeah, totally. that's super helpful. Yeah. And then you, you've sort of talked about the Christian tradition and that sort of this this idea of vowed friendship and that sort of thing. But can you, you're a New Testament scholar, so why don't you talk to us a little bit about how, uh, what, what does the New Testament specifically stay, say about friendship and how does kind of Christ and the gospel sort of shift our understanding of friendship? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, the first thing to say is that the New Testament doesn't have a lot to say about friendship. It it tends to use the language of brother and sister for Mm -hmm. Christian believers rather than the language of friends. Yeah. But having said that, there is this wonderful passage in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 15, verse 13, where Jesus uh, reaches for the analogy of friendship as a way to talk about what he is giving to his followers. Mm. So he says, no one has greater love than this, Mm -hmm. that someone would lay down their life for their friends. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really love that because he could have so easily said, no one has greater love than this, that a spouse would lay down their life for their spouse or that Mm. a parent would lay down their life for a child. Which are great, you know. Oh, I mean, he could have yeah. said that, <laughs> yeah, totally. But, but but he uses friendship. He uses mm-hmm. friendship as the analogy. Um, I think as as a way of saying, this is what I am doing when I go to the cross. I am I am befriending you. I am I am making you my intimate fellow. You know, by giving my life for you, I'm giving you a pattern of how you are to relate to one another. Mm-hmm. And I just love that that is not in any way dependent on whether you're married or single. Mm-hmm. All of us can recognize ourselves as friends and as mm-hmm. called to be friends, called to lay down our lives for our friends. Mm-hmm. So there's a wonderful kind of inclusivity about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not limited to people who are are sexually active or or yeah. um, you know having children. Uh, it, it's it's open to all of us. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I want to like I want to go into 
kind of the myths or like the part of the reasons why our culture seems to be averse to uh, intimate, deep spiritual friendships. But first, along the lines of the New Testament, there is a passage in, um, I think it's Ephesians 5, where Paul talks about the mystery um, of marriage pointing to Christ and the church. And this is often, you know, referred to at weddings. And I was, I was thinking this in light of like spiritual friendship and just wondering, like, first of all, is this potentially we've like misread this and part of the reason why we've put such an emphasis on marriage and devalued friendship, but then also how do you understand, you know, in light of what Paul seems to be saying as like, this is a relationship, almost a deep mystery between Christ and the church. One of the deepest relationships, it seems like, I don't know. Does that question make sense? Like, how do you understand this passage? And I think so. Of friendship? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it's a great question because it, it gets us right into the heart of the storyline of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think that right from the very beginning, God uh, portrays God's relationship to his covenant people, Israel, mm-hmm. in marital terms. You know, God, God is the is the is the husband and Israel is is his bride. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even Jews read the song of songs that way. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly the prophets, you know, you think about Hosea, for example. Um, you know, Hosea is called to marry this prostitute, mm-hmm. Gomer, as a mm-hmm. kind of acted out parable of the way God feels about Israel. God mm-hmm. is committed to Israel. Even though Israel is a wayward spouse, God continues to love Israel. Mm-hmm. So I think that 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 kind of marital spousal analogy is running right through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. I mean, mm-hmm. like you say, Paul will talk about husbands and wives relating together, but then he'll say, this is actually a mystery. It's a, it's a, um, it's a signpost of the way Christ laid down his life for his bride, the church. Mm-hmm. And of course mm-hmm. the last book of the Bible revelation, that's the, that's the image, right? Is that mm-hmm. we together collectively are the bride of Christ and he is the groom. He is the husband. But what I would add to that is that we see in the gospel of Matthew uh, in chapter 22, Jesus saying that in the resurrection, in the in the great future day of resurrection, we neither marry nor are given in marriage, mm-hmm. but are like angels in heaven, he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of us, whether we're married or single, we are all headed toward this great, you know, marriage ceremony, the, mm-hmm. the wedding supper of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the brides. So we're all going to be married in one sense. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're all going to be single in one sense, mm-hmm. right. because earthly marriage, as we know it today, is not going to be a part of the resurrection life, right. uh, you know, the life of God's kingdom. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I've, I've talked to married friends of mine who tell me that's a kind of painful thought for them because they mm-hmm. love being married to their spouse. But there's a sense in which marriage as we know it now is a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a sign of something greater that's to come. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which I think those of us like me who are who are celibate who've never married we are in a certain sense already participating in the future reality mm-hmm. that we're all going to be that we're all going to be moving toward you know that we're mm-hmm. all going to experience. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that quite answers your question right. uh, uh Nick but um yeah. that's kind of the way I try to hold it all together. Yeah, I think part of the reason I asked the question and this gets into the the next 
uh, question is just because w- that marriage has oftentimes and throughout history it's shifted, um, but currently you know it's been upheld and I think it's being reevaluated. But as like the pinnacle of relationships, this right. is um, this is the deepest form of a relationship, right. and I just wonder if that passage. Um, and others that you mentioned too in the Old and New Testament have been used to to kind of justify a, a, a paradigm that this is this is where your life is going. This is the deepest form of 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 relationship. But I I wonder too if you want to touch on like you go into your book some of the other myths actually that we believe in in our culture. Um, can you just yeah share a few of those? Before yeah. we go into those myths, Wes, yeah. can I tell you a funny story? So after you That'd came to Regent a few years ago, a bunch of students took your class and you without you were talking about singleness being, you know, a sign of the eschaton. And a bunch of these really awesome single women were like, guys, just look at us. We are the sign of the eschaton. So they were listed like the sign and seal of the eschaton. Exactly. Like we're participating in the eschaton. Exactly. Amen. 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 That's great. I love it. was it. this funny, like it's like, oh, are you married? No, I'm just a sign of the eschaton. You know, like yeah. whatever. That's just, just living as a sign in a foretaste. Exactly. Yeah, I'm a sign in exactly. a foretaste. Exactly. Anyway, sorry, that, I just thought yeah, you appreciate Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, I, I do want to say, I think that's true of all of us, whether right. we're married or single, because totally. married people get to be a sign of the wedding supper of the lamb, but still people get to be a sign of the fact that we're not going to be married mm. in the earthly sense at all. You know, totally. totally. There's, so a, we, there's an equalize. Like that's there's right. A, and that's there's right. kind of, and this is what I think I've always appreciated about Wes is the way you think about it is there's a, if, if singleness has been devalued and marriage has been kind of overvalued or idolized, there's a, there's a kind of like a valuing of singleness exactly. and a kind of de-idolizing or a dethroning exactly. of marriage in such a way to say, actually all of our desires mm. need to be reoriented towards that's right. all of us that's are right. signs of the that's right. Different ways, so it's just it's just super helpful. Amen. So I love good that. About it. I want to meet these. I want to <laughs> chat oh, with these women again. Yeah, That's you'd great. enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love yeah, it. So anyway, so myths. I need to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Sign of the eschaton. I'm a sign. Yeah, <laughs> come on. I'm a walking embodied sign of the eschaton. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but it's sorry, true. Go back on. It's yeah, true. it's true. Yeah, it is true. Yeah. Yeah. So true. so to come back to the question, I I I talk in my friendship book about what are some of the uh, the myths that we tend to believe that actually work against us developing close friendships with each other. And there are a number of these. I, I think one of them is what I call the myth of sex, which, um, you know, we're all a product of the modern world and we all kind of live after the work of Sigmund Freud, even if we don't know his name, mm-hmm. we're probably in some ways like absorbing some of his ideas. And one of his kind of lasting legacies to the world is he 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 believed that sexuality was this kind of all-pervading motivator for human behavior so that even if you feel like well I'm not I'm not relating to this person sexually he would say well secretly you are you know because because sex is kind of the the secret truth of all relationships it's it's what drives us to connect with each other mm. um and I think that when we absorb that myth, we end up actually kind of sidelining friendship because friendship is not about sex, at least as it's been classically understood, you know, historically understood. It's, it's, it's about two people relating to one another, not through biological sexuality, not through the need to procreate or experience romantic attraction, but just because of a shared commitment to, you know, a, a, 
the same hobby or the same mission. And so I think if we really believe that myth of sex, it's going to make it hard to think about friendship as some, as a, a genuine love in its own right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was really struck a few years ago. I, I was in college when the Lord of the Rings movies came out and I loved them like everyone else. Mm-hmm. But I was really struck by how many people wanted to kind of sexualize the relationship between Frodo and Sam mm-hmm. because they couldn't imagine that there was this platonic friendship between these two male hobbits that wasn't somehow, you know, sexual. Mm-hmm. And and I just think that's an impoverishment. You know, that that's mm-hmm. a diminishment of our of our mm-hmm. understanding of friendship that we have mm-hmm. to. We have to view it through that lens of sexuality. Another myth that I talk about is the myth of of kind of individual freedom. I think, I mean, I tend to believe this as much as anyone. You know, I want to be able to set my own schedule. I want to to be able to move where I want to move. And I don't want to be tied down by commitments that that may hinder me from my full self-actualization or self-expression. And again, I think if we really buy into that, we're going to we're going to end up devaluing friendship because mm-hmm. friendship does make obligations on us. It does make demands of us, mm-hmm. especially if we're taking it really seriously as a mm-hmm. as a kind of, you know, a spiritual vocation or calling mm-hmm. in a certain way. And right. so I think the extent to which we embrace some of these modern mythologies we're going to have difficulty cultivating and maintaining yeah. friendship in mm-hmm. in the classic Christian sense. Yeah, yeah totally. Can I go back to what you were saying about sex and just talk a bit about, about attraction? Yeah. And so your thoughts on that. So in some ways, you know, the some of the, you know, the concerns around men, men and women being friends is right. attraction. But in the same way, if you're same-sex attraction, yeah. attracted, then that, that, that reality is there too. That's Do you want right. to talk about sort of any thoughts around attraction and friendship and mm-hmm. how and navigating that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, a great same-sex question. attracted or heterosexual? Yeah. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think so. A lot of my ministry has been working with um, Christians who are gay and lesbian or same sex mm-hmm. attracted. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of us have kind of absorbed a message from some Christian leaders that our relationships are dangerous. Like we're right. always we're always kind of on the verge of sexual temptation. And so we need to be careful not to get too intimate w- with with same sex friends because it might it might turn into something sexual. And I've seen in my own life how that has had detrimental effects. It's caused me to hold men at arm's length. It's caused me to be fearful of forming bonds with men that are that are too deep or too close because somehow that might become twisted or, or eroticized. But, you know, I've been following some of this recent conversation. There's a writer named Amy Bird, uh, um, B-Y-R-D. Um, her book, I think, is called Why Can't men and women be friends. And Mm. she's coming at it from a heterosexual standpoint saying, Mm. you know, some of the same messages have hindered men and women being relating to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in friendship, because we're so afraid of it being sexualized or, or somehow the gateway to sexual sin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, Mm. I do think we need, we need appropriate accountability. We need, we need boundaries. I mean, those are healthy Mm. things. Mm -hmm. But we don't need to be afraid of, yeah. of 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 intimate you know mm-hmm. relationships, and we need to recognize, you know these these are ways that God wants to actually make us more holy, not mm-hmm. less holy. You right. know, God God wants to lead us into deeper totally. self giving love with each other. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I just meet so many gay Christians who are so um, 
I, I think we're in some ways kind of stunted in love because we're afraid of what mm. might go wrong. Mm. And I just, I would love to see us relating to one another with, with purity, you know, with, with, mm. without sexual innuendo and, and ambiguity, but also with real intimacy, you know, with yeah. real commitment to each other and, yeah. and vulnerability with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that in terms yeah. of, yeah. you know, your own, your own experiences. That's a good thought. Yeah. Well, no, because I was, I was thinking, like, there is, like, even in any kind of friendship, there is a level of attraction. It's like, oh, I like, you know, I enjoy you. I like you. There's yeah, something about right. me that's drawn that's right. to you, you know. So, but then it's like, as soon as that, then it's like, as if that then becomes, needs to become sexualized right. in yeah. order to be right. actually truly attraction. I don't, do you know what I mean? It's a kind yeah, of funny absolutely. dynamic. Totally. Um, absolutely. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's like, it's to not be fearful and not be weird about it. Right. Like right. as soon as you make it weird, it becomes weird. Right. <laughs> like, and yeah. actually being, and I thought that I think that's, it's the kind of um, wanting to, you know, needing to be honest and being, yeah. you need, mm-hmm. it requires some self-awareness in your own self yes. to be like, cause when, you know, I think we might've said this on one of the other conversations, like when, you know, when you, you know, when you're attracted to someone, when you're not, yes. you just know, like yes. you're, if you're self-aware person. So yes. you sort of, you pay attention to that. You tell someone else, you talk right. to that person about it, whatever you sort yeah. of, yes. but you but sort of putting up these sort of artificial boundaries, mm-hmm. Just in case, as you say, to be yes. like, oh, just uh, let me just stunt everything so that I don't. Right. But then you then right. actually avoid experiencing kind of good intimate friendship right. because of fear of what might happen. That seems well, like- and I've I've wondered how much certain habits within uh, American U.S. evangelicalism have contributed mm-hmm. to this. Because yeah. when I moved to England, I was part of a a charismatic evangelical church. And there were very, very few sex segregated activities. Mm. So like that, the small group that I belonged to that met once a week, it was, it was co-ed. It was men and women. It was married and single. It was young Mm. and old. And I was much more familiar in my American context with like men's small groups and women's Mm. small groups and, Mm. you know, men's, men's retreats and women's retreats. And I just wonder if, I mean, not that that's all bad, but I no, wonder yeah. if that if that works against our yeah. Yeah. developing these healthy non-sexual friendships totally. with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know what it's like in the Canadian church mm-hmm. context, but. Yeah, um, I think it's a bit of both, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. probably not as strong as in the States, mm-hmm. but so yeah. I would imagine, I think there's a probably a bit of a, more of a mix. Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced a bit more mixed being here from, from mm-hmm. the States for sure. Yeah. Do you have thoughts, mm-hmm. Nick, as the the only married person on the podcast currently? Yeah, I just, the, a few things you talked, you you touched on is uh, I, I do appreciate, like it's not the the whole attraction issue is is both, you know, hetero and, and homosexual. So it's not like segregated to one, but you're, I think you're right. There is a piece where we do miss out on intimate friendships if we create these artificial boundaries and almost fencing in to make sure just, just in case something doesn't happen, you know, we miss out. And then the other piece that you touched on is the freedom piece. And I, I even see that, you know, in my, in my own marriage of my wife and I are, are married and we're one and we make decisions. And so bringing a close friend into that would uh, almost sacrifice in, in quote unquote, some freedom in my, my own mind. Yeah. Um, but it would probably be for the better in, in an increase in purpose and relationship. Um, so I could definitely see that play out in my, in my own life for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I share a home with a married couple mm-hmm. and their two children who are now five and two. And one of our 
kind of ongoing conversations with one another is just how do we negotiate? Um, you know, we each have our sense of calling and they are one flesh with each other, you know, in, in biblical terms. Um, but how do we, how do we kind of navigate three different callings? I mean, it's hard mm-hmm. enough to do two, right? right? But, but how do we think about the level of commitment that we have, the, the way we make decisions about the future? Um, so these are, these are very much live conversations for us right. and it's, mm-hmm. it's not straightforward. Yeah, yeah. totally. And it like, and it, as you, like, you know, it's kind of a, people would look at your life and go, oh, it's so great. Like what an yeah. awesome thing. And you're like, yeah, actually, yeah, well, no, we're still like, this is a, it's yeah. not like a kind of like we've decided and now that's it's exactly easy. Right. It's like these that's are right. constant conversations because yeah. it's, right. it's like it is like it would be in a marriage. Like, yeah, how right. are we going to do this? Like, that's it's, right. It's not one and done and set. You've got it it's figured out and it just goes, you know. Straightforward. Exactly. It's just not humans. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I find I find it very compelling and like and thanks for sharing that and even like the ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. But I like yeah, it just makes me think like there is a security and a a, a covenant that is formed within a marriage. I mean, do you see that like within spiritual friendship, you have taken steps obviously personally with this family yourself to, to almost, I mean, is, would you, would you articulate it as a covenant? Like, would you use that language with, with, uh, with the family you're with and even in your understanding of spiritual friendship? I, I think so. So, mm-hmm. um, um, when we first moved in to share a house together, this is about eight years ago now. Uh, we had a small number of people over for dinner and we asked a a minister friend of ours to pray over us and to kind of dedicate our friendship to God. And we didn't, we didn't use the language of covenant, but it Mm. it felt like we were making some kind of commitment to each other. You know, Mm. we celebrated Mm. communion. Um, And a, a few years later when Felicity, their daughter was born, who's now five, um, they asked me to, um, so, so I'm in the Anglican tradition. So, uh, she was baptized as a baby and they asked me to, excuse me. Bless you. Thank you. So that maybe you can edit that out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, she was baptized as a baby and they asked me to stand, uh, at her baptism and take a vow, make a promise to help raise her in the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And so I became what we call a godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the level of kind of commitment we have. Now, what we have not worked out mm-hmm. is whether that means we will always live in the same place. Mm-hmm. I think right. I think what we have worked out is I will always be Uncle Wes. Yeah. I will always be, you know, a, a vowed part of the family. And I will always have this relationship with the children. But I think what's painful for me sometimes and confusing is, you know, they as a one flesh married mm-hmm. couple, if they feel called to move, they're going to move together. Mm-hmm. But for me, as the as the as the friend, as the uncle, as the as the brother, I may mm-hmm. or may not. Right. I think that's just part of that's part of for me, the, the kind of pathos of being single is just yeah. realizing like there are ways in which I experience commitment that are different than the ways they experience commitment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there are different kind of levels of commitment that Christians can have to one another. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just think, I, I think that's probably part of the deal, even though it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's confusing mm-hmm. in some ways. Totally. Yeah. We hope you've been enjoying this wonderful conversation, but Claire wanted to take a few seconds just to share some ways you could get involved more in the Regent college podcast. Totally. We at Regent, we love people being a part of the things that we're doing. And so there's a couple of different ways you can do that. 
If you've enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations, let someone know. Share it with them, share it with a family member, with a friend, with someone who you think would appreciate this and would love to hear it. That's the first way. Mm-hmm. Second way, you could you could give us a rating or write a little uh, comment on one of the on wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be another great way. And then the final way that you could uh, participate with us is if you've enjoyed the podcast and you'd like to give a donation to Regent College, then we would warmly receive that. Yeah. You can do that by heading to rgnt.net forward slash give. And, you know, in the comment box, let them know that we sent you. Right, Nick? That's right. We do love hearing when people have appreciated the podcast. And so let you can let Nick know by sending an email to podcast at regent-college.edu. When Nick and I are having these conversations, it's sometimes hard for us to realise that actually people listen to these. And so when we get emails or we get a little note in the comment box on the donation page of our website, it just reminds us that people are actually listening and we love that. So please let us know that you're listening. Let us know if there are things that different profs that you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about kind of choosing friends. And like, so, you know, there's a spiritual kinship that we all have, yeah. as we're saying, brothers and sister. But then, then there is this kind of spiritual friendship. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not the same or are they the yeah. same? How do we think about kind of, of those kind of different relationships? Yeah. So Aylred in his book, he talks a lot about this. And mm-hmm. he says the main thing that you should be looking for when you're choosing a friend is trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. And he says there may be points where, if a friend betrays you, that doesn't exempt you from the call to keep loving them. You know, I mean, Christians are called to love even our enemies, mm-hmm. but it, it, it may mean that you will withdraw your friendship. Mm. So, so you're going to continue loving them. You're going to continue willing their good and working for their good, but you, you may not be able to entrust your whole heart to them. And mm. Aylred says, that's really what friendship is about. It's about being able to trust your whole self to another person mm-hmm. and believe that they will hold your heart in trust, you yeah. know, that they will, um, guard your dignity in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. we've probably all experienced that where we felt like, wow, I shared this with someone and they, they didn't really treat it as sacred. You know, they went and told their, their, their other friend, or, you know, there, there's those breaches of trust that we have. And so yeah. Elwood talks about the need to, you know, if, if you're going to enter into a really close, intimate, spiritual friendship with someone, there needs to be kind of a period of testing, mm-hmm. which maybe sounds a little uh, clinical to us, but I think mm-hmm. he's onto something, you know, that, mm-hmm. that we don't, we don't just enter into these kind of friendships casually. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for me, I will say it's been, it's been a, pretty organic. Like yeah, I, like yeah. when I became friends with Aiden and Mel, that those are the names of my housemates. Um, I don't think we started off thinking, wow, we're going to be like spiritual friends. Like mm-hmm. it was just, we kind of enjoyed each other and we, mm-hmm. we started having dinner once a week and then it turned into twice a week. And then, you know, we, we went on some vacations together. Like, like there was just kind of a slow organic growth to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that's often how friendships develop. You know, you, you, you enroll at a seminary and you, you meet someone that you, haven't met before. And suddenly you realize, wow, we have a lot of the same interests. We, we hit it off, so to speak, you know, and and it can, it can grow from there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you found it, um, as you've gone along, so you've got this kind of base of good friends, you know, have you found that then 
that that's made it easier for you to make mm. other friends mm. or it's been like actually this is this is safe so i'm i've kind of got my i've got my people so i can just be kin with the rest <laughs> of you but i've got yeah. my spiritual friend do you know what i mean yeah i actually, do i do yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean i do i do think friendships go through seasons right totally. and so yeah. so you know there are friends that i really really loved in graduate school that mm-hmm. i i still love but mm-hmm. I, we just don't talk all that much and yeah, i think yeah. we could pick up where we left off but they're not like an active part of my daily life and mm-hmm. i think that's i think that's normal i think that's mm-hmm. probably part of being a creature you know we yeah. just can't we can't maintain no. all these friendships um uh yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So I turned 40 this year. So I I, I definitely feel like I'm moving into that middle age period. And I, I <laughs> you have only just the, turned 40. Where's you make me feel old? <laughs> I've had the thought, I've had the thought, like, you know, I love my friends that I have. I don't necessarily I'm not necessarily looking to make new friends. I mean, you this know, is that, why that's, I asked. that like like uh, you know, if the if, I don't right. feel the same kind of like Maybe this sounds bad. Maybe we should edit this out. But I don't think I feel the same kind of desperate hunger for friends yeah. that I felt yeah. when I was like 25. You yeah. know, like, yeah. like I have people that have known me a, a long time and we know each other well. And and yeah. um, um, having said that, I, you know, I just started this new job at Western yeah. Seminary and I'm I'm really enjoying becoming new friends with my colleagues. So, yeah. awesome. you know, I think I think there are these these new vistas that can open up mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for us as well. Yeah, I think, and there is, there is, you you do sort of need to continue to be open to you. I think is that's right. What, that's right. Yeah, like I think I'm learning. You you know, your heart does expand. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Other it's not that you stop loving the people you love. No, really. exactly. There yeah. actually is, and but being kind of being able to be open to, to that is, um, yeah, is helpful. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it it is difficult though. You know, especially if you were to have to move. And, right. and uproot right. yourself, move to a new place. Like right. it's challenging because you want to hold on to those friendships that you you have had. Right. But if you're in a different place and trying to make new friendships, so I, I mean, I've experienced that as well. That it it is it is a challenge to yep. maintain so many different deep friendships. That's right. That, yeah, um, well, and 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 sociologists will say that the the key predictor of friendships is regular, unplanned interactions. Mm-hmm. Which I think is why being at a place like Regent mm-hmm. is such a fertile ground for friendship because you're mm-hmm. having these, you're seeing the same people over and over mm-hmm. in the same classes, in the same coffee shop, the same mm-hmm. bookstore, dining hall, chapel service, whatever. But but it's it's spontaneous, you know, you're mm-hmm. not having to schedule it. You're not having yeah. to put it in your calendar and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's it's regular, but it's unplanned. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think as we get older, as we move away from places like Regent, it becomes harder to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think about the way I do friendship now, a lot of it is very scheduled. Yeah. You know, I will, mm-hmm. I will email someone and say, Hey, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Let's have dinner, yeah. you know? And, and that's, I mean, it's good, but it's not the same kind of thing as, yeah. as right. being at a place like region. Totally. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. You, you kind of touched on your time in the UK. I wonder was, have you been to other or like looked at other cultures yeah, I guess I've I've seen or heard like in some African cultures even some of the uh, things they do as friends would seem like maybe odd to us as Westerners, like even holding hands between same-sex uh, relationships down the street, just being very yeah. natural um, and kind of just a different way of expressing intimacy, showing your friends. Uh, I don't know. Have you looked into other uh, outside of North America, Western cultures? 
Not as much as I would like. I, I lived in West Africa for a year. I, okay. I, I was teaching in Cameroon for a year. And mm-hmm. I remember kind of being startled and then delighted mm-hmm. when I would see two men walking mm-hmm. down the street holding hands. And totally. I, I remember asking people about it and they said, yeah, this is just what friends do yeah. here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, whereas that would be a very big deal in, mm-hmm. in a Western context. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, yeah, it's just a, it's a gap in my knowledge. I would mm-hmm. love to know more about mm-hmm. kind of habits of friendship in other parts mm-hmm. of the world. Um, I think there are certain Asian cultures that are in many ways far more comfortable with expressed intimacy, you know, or Latin cultures, for example, Mm -hmm. um, where there's a lot of physical intimacy that's, that's expressed. So, um, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I want to just kind of, as we're kind of wrapping up here, Wes, if you could, um, you know, we've talked, um, you know, kind of about friendship and the importance of it. How's this impacted your, um, relationship with your family? You don't have to kind of Mm -hmm. go personally, but like, how do you, how do you sort of, um, prioritize family and friendship? And kind of, you know, Nick was saying, and same with, you know, you come, we come from context where family is really important. And I think Nick, you would say from your kind of context is, you know, family's the ultimate, um, or yeah, high priority. It's, it's a, I, I, I'm interested in your thoughts here just because in some cultures, specifically in some church cultures, yeah. uh, family is, is yeah. the most important. Yeah. I mean, so two things I think are really interesting. We have these kind of jarring moments in the Gospels where Mm -hmm. Jesus' biological family will show up Mm. and (laughs) they will be expecting, you know, that they have priority because they're his his mother and his brothers. Yeah. And Jesus will respond quite shockingly by saying, well, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looks around and he says, whoever does the will of God is my family. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there's a, there's a demoting of, of biological kinship ties. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, you also have just a proliferation of family language yeah. to describe the church. Mm-hmm. We are brothers and sisters, or you think about a passage like Mark chapter 10, where Jesus says, everyone who um, is is part of the kingdom of God has a whole new set of fathers and mothers and brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. Mm-hmm. So it, it's this paradoxical thing where, where biological family is not the most important reality for us. Mm-hmm. And yet it's as though the family ties remain important. They just get redefined and, mm-hmm. and expanded and, and kind of filled up again in a certain way. So mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's very interesting that throughout Christian history, you know, Jesus' biological mother has been extremely honored. I would mm. say rightly so. Mm. You know, uh, she is she is the one who said yes to God and, mm. and gave birth to the Christ child. And at the same time, uh, the Apostle John has been super honored. And Jesus says, as he's hanging there on the cross, you know, uh, he says to his mother, woman, behold your son. Mm. And, uh, you know, son, behold mm. your mother. So he's giving them as family to one another, even though they weren't related mm. to begin with. So I, so I, I, I don't want to say Christianity devalues the family. I think mm. what I do want to say is Christianity redefines the family. Mm. It, it, it expands our understanding of family. It, mm. it opens it up to say, you know, even if we aren't blood related to one another, we are still family mm. uh, because we, 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 you know, partake of the same spirit of Jesus. So mm. I don't know if yeah. that, if that quite yeah. answers no, the question. That's, but, that's, um, that's really good. I love that redefining. I wonder on a, on a more practical note, if you have thoughts on this as, and 
maybe we can say this is our last question unless Claire wants to throw another out there. This is so good. I, <laughs> I just, um, I know I've, I've seen it in my own life and then experienced in others that when an individual or uh, two people are coming together to become married and there's been experiences of the friendships they've had having somewhat difficulty yeah. with the relationship or oh, yeah. um, even feeling like a loss right? yep. Yep. and mm-hmm. and there might be something something real there do you think like yeah i don't know how to phrase exactly this question what i'm trying to articulate but when when people get married how can you still maintain really like good friendships but then also is there a grieving also with that that friends just have when when somebody gets married because there's a shift in time yeah. in mm. priority in emotional even, intimacy even, yeah, kind of yeah. Direct, yeah. Where it's being directed yeah yeah I mean, I can tell you that in my life, I have experienced that grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, there have been there have been couples that have gotten married where I have felt like, well, you know, I'm glad you guys are getting married, but it, it also is going to it's going to have a very real practical consequence that you're going to have less time for me mm-hmm. in certain ways, you know, and and that's just something to be navigated. You know, it's it's yeah. a reality to be to be explored. Um, I also think though about. So I, I've I've developed a number of very close friendships with married couples over the years, mm-hmm. and and the way those friendships have typically worked is not by trying to carve out time away from their family for me, yep. but by welcoming me into the family mm-hmm. dynamic. Totally. So yep. I think about this couple that I got to know in grad school, and they just kind of said, "Wes, can you do the dishes while we put the kids to bed, and and then we'll you know regroup in the living room and have a glass of wine or something." And mm. so, so it's 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 not so much that they're kind of bracketing their family to make time for me. It's it's that I'm being kind of welcomed into yeah. the warp and woof of the family life. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think those are the those are the friendships that I have experienced with mm. with married people that have that have worked best and been healthiest, uh, so yeah, to speak. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. Me too. Hey, yeah. so Wes, we're looking forward to you coming back to Vancouver. I can't wait. I'm really excited. Do you want to? Can you? Do you want to tell us a tiny, like one, you know, one little nugget about what your course is about? Yeah. So it's called Male and Female in Christ, and we're going to focus on New Testament passages to do with gender and sexuality, but we're going to keep our eye on some of the big headline conversations right now around transgender, around um, uh, you know, gay and lesbian identities. Um, so it's going to be both kind of very focused on scripture, but also very attentive to some of the real urgent questions that a lot of us are wrestling with as we think mm-hmm. about, you know, bearing witness to God's love in Christ in our in our world today. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, man. So good. That sounds awesome. Wes, it's always a joy to talk to you. Thanks mm-hmm. for it's making time to, to be with us. Yeah. Thanks right. for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.